This morning, speaking of beautiful, we're going to talk about the beauty of angels. Um, you have an outline that is available. You're going to find this a whole lot more convenient in terms of how much we have to cover this morning. George Whitefield, who is a great evangelist of another generation, once said, to preach more than a half an hour, you better be an angel or have angels who are listening to you. And uh, I find that challenge because there is so much that I'd like to share with you this morning. And we have such limited time. I'm going to go through a lot of the early stuff more quickly because there's some important things at the very end I want us to land on and see. We're in a series called Supernatural. And Supernatural has taken us through things like demons and Satan. And we considered what should we do on Mother's Day. And we thought those would not be good topics for Mother's Day. And uh, spiritual warfare, for some moms it probably has felt like that. But we thought it would be best to do angels because for all of the mothers today, you're like angels to us. <laughs> Cheesy enough for you? Well, we're so, well, we're, so, we're so glad to have you here. We're going to talk about the beauty of angels. Angels mean different things to different people. I still remember Charlie's angels watching that on TV. And uh, those three women, they were just amazing what they could do. And then, of course, touched by an angel was a little bit more on the realistic realm of USC. And then there's artists that love to give us images of what they believe angels look like. And they're always very pretty, uh, by the way. And then there are the cherub-type angels, and there is an angel blowing angel dust. Oh, by the way, there is no such thing as angel dust, if you hear people talk about that. And then there are the uh, World Series champion uh, angels that as well. And so if you come second hour, Matt Doan actually put in his outline. In his outline, he actually put in his outline, in second hour, elevation. So if you see him, give him a bad time, that the uh, Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles, Orange County, California Angels, are not going to win the World Series this year, but the Oakland A's are. So if you see Matt Doan, before he preaches second hour, give him a bad time. Just nasty, nasty. So, this morning we want to talk about angels in a very good way because the angels, there are bad angels, we call them demons. We've addressed that. So I'm assuming a certain amount of information that we've already covered, but this morning we'll talk about angels. The word angels, the Greek word actually means messengers. They are messengers. Angels are those that advance the work of God. And I've organized it in a very systematic way, what we call systematic theology, there is the creation of angels. Let me show you a little background where angels came from. Angels are created by God. Colossians 1.16, For by Him all things are created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. Those refer to the angelic beings. All things have been created for Him, uh, through Him and for Him. Angels created by God. They were created before God ever created Genesis 1.1 of the world that we know today. Job 38. Job is one of the most ancient books in the Bible. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Genesis 1. Tell me, if you have understanding, who sets its measurements, since you know, who, or who stretched the line on it, on what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? And here's the reference. I put the blue to help us. I'm going to look at a lot of scriptures this morning. When the morning stars sang together, that's referring to the angels. The angels were singing together before God created the heavens and the earth, the light and the darkness, day and night. All the sons of God shouted for joy. One of the fascinating things you will see in scripture is that before the world was created, angels sang. 
you do not see angels sing in Scripture any time until the end times when Christ returns. There is no reference of angels, hark the old angels, singing. They don't. They say, but they don't sing. But here before the creation, before sin, and the conclusion of sin, angels sing in Scripture. So that is the creation time. They're created with an intellect. We can talk about this verse a little bit later, but angels love to look into things and uh, to inspect things, to discover things about what's going on. Angels are created with that intellect. To look means to observe, to discern, to contemplate. They look into our lives, and I'll show you that in a moment. Angels have emotions. They feel what we feel. They have a personality. They praise God. They have great joy over what Jesus Christ is doing. And angels are created with a will. They have a choice. There were certain angels, about a third of all the angels that God ever created, according to Revelation 12, were swept from heaven, and they were cast under Satan's uh, power, and they became what we call demons today, and they chose to disobey God. Angels have a will, and so they exercise that will in a very disobedient way. Angels created to not marry or ever die. And uh, Jesus said to the, them and the, there in Luke 20, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age of the resurrection from the dead, neither marry or are given in marriage. In heaven, there is no marriage. For some of you, that's good news. And for some of you, that's bad news. But uh, in heaven, there is no marriage. And he says, just like the angels, for they cannot die anymore because they are like angels. Angels will never die. Their bodies don't wear out. They're going to have that perfect body like the body that we someday will have when we get rid of the rental. And our sons of God being sons of the resurrection. So they neither marry nor will they ever die. And they were created distinct from us. Nobody when they die becomes an angel. Sometimes you hear that reference. They are distinct from mankind. Hebrews 2 is quoting from Psalm 8. What is man that you remember him or the son of man that you are considered concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. We are a little bit lower than the angels in terms of their role, their power, and their display of God's glory. And uh, so we are distinct. Simply to clarify, don't believe that my little angel has gone to heaven. No, little people go to heaven. They become big people in heaven. They they are glorifying God. The appearance of angels. What do the angels look like? Would we see an angel? Some of you have told stories about your experiences with angels. And as I might have time, I'll share some of those stories as well. So how do you know if you see an angel? Because angels are around us, all around us right now. They are spirit beings, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service? And the reference there from the previous verse is referring to angels. Comparing to Christ and angels, Christ is better than angels. They can and do appear as men. Most of the time, angels appear in Scripture, they are men. No offense against the women, but they just happen to be men. Michael, Gabriel, two angels. Those happen to be men's names. Now, two angels came to Sodom, this horrible story. Two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. That was their business was conducted in the city gate. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground, recognizing there was something unique about these individuals that have come. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter, and they called to Lot, and here is what these people of Sodom said about these two angels. Where are the men? They looked at them, and they looked like other men that they know in that city in which they would do horrible things with. 
bring them out to us that we may have relations. And so Sodom, sodomy, things like that come out of that situation. Simply said, they appear as men. They appear as any other man who might come into the city. They can also appear as women according to Zechariah 5, 9, and 10. Then I lift up my eyes, behold, and there were two women coming out of the wind in their wings, and they had wings like the wings of a stork. So some angels look like uh, women with wings and sort of have a stork uh, look to them, which I'm sure there's a joke there, but I'm not going to go down that road because it's Mother's Day. They may not be remarkable in how they look. And the reason I take this is from Luke 1. You know, Gabriel came to visit Mary to tell her, by the way, you're going to have a baby, (laughs) which is just a remarkable thing in the city of Nazareth for a young teenage girl who's never been married be told that you're going to have a baby. So, now the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city, Galilee, called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favor one, the Lord is with you. And I highlight in blue this, but she was perplexed. And I would have thought she was perplexed at who is this? She was perplexed at what is this that they say, this statement. So Gabriel shows up, and she is not perplexed about who he is and this bizarre-looking creature. She's perplexed over what he is saying to her. Gabriel appears to them as a man. We'll see that reference again. They may appear as lightning in white clothes. At the resurrection of Christ, the angel rolls back the stone. It's like a cave, and there's a stone that rolls in front of it. The angel rolls it back, sits there, and as the guards, the Roman guards, there to protect this so the disciples would not come and steal the body. And it says in his appearance, this angel was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. That is one reason why you will probably not see angels like lightning, white as snow, because they don't want to scare us to death. And so there is this, a presence that they can have. This is probably more of what they are in heaven than what they are on earth. And that's why commonly they would appear to us on earth as men. Some do have wings. We often see angels displayed as having wings. Not all of them do. But there is a class that does. I'll talk about them in a moment. But they're called the seraphim. They stood before him, each having six wings. Two covered the face, two the feet, and two that they would use to fly with. We'll talk about those in a moment. But simply said, there are angels with wings. There are angels without wings. And so there are various ways that God has created them. There are some angels that God created that are very unusual and bizarre to look at and that you and I would not be able to handle it if they were to come to us. But they actually came to a man by the name of Ezekiel way back in the, uh, the middle days of the 500s or so B.C. when they were being separated from the land of Israel. And within it there were figures resembling four living beings. And uh, this was their appearance. This is what these angels, they're called cherubim. This is what they looked like. They had a human form. But each of them had four faces and four wings. Four faces on a head and four wings. And their legs were straight and their feet were like calves' hoof. And they gleamed like burnished bronze. We'll talk about the cherubim in just a moment. But just simply said that see the display of the appearance from a man to a woman with wings to six wings uh, to having four heads and four sides and four faces and and the calves' hooves. I mean, there, there's all ways that angels may appear to us 
but typically they will appear, as you will see, as men. And sometimes, read about this verse in a little bit later, sometimes they're all around us and we simply can't see them. And they may be surrounding us here. And I'll show you one of the great things about that. So I'm going through a lot of this part very quickly. They are organized. They're not scattershot. God organized them when He created them, and they have an order about them. One of the most powerful angels is Angel Michael. He is a warrior. You see him in Revelation 12, for example, amongst other passages. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels. So Michael has a crew of angels that he, he has leadership over, waging war with a dragon who was Satan himself. And the dragon and his angels waged war and they were not strong enough and there was no longer a place to be found for them in heaven. In about three weeks, the very last Sunday of May will be our last Sunday on Supernatural. And I will take us into the book of Revelation and I will show you the display of angelic power unlike any power that you've ever seen in the history of mankind. And we'll explore the end times use of angels and their power in the world is being displayed in those days. So we'll get a little prophetic look in that time. But just to show you that Michael is one of the key powerful angels that was there and has even rescued other angels like Gabriel who is being held back by demons. But Daniel 9.20-22, Gabriel is a key messenger of God. Gabriel's name means mighty one of God. And so God used Gabriel for significant messages to the people. Daniel being one of those. Again, in captivity in the land we call Iran today. He is being held captive against his will by King Nebuchadnezzar. And yet he serves God faithfully, honorably, holy, in a holy fashion. And he doesn't understand what's going on. So he prays, God, give me insight. So Gabriel comes to give him insight. Notice the description. And while I was speaking and still speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel. Gabriel shows up like a man. And this Gabriel now tutors Daniel in truth, whom I have seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me. So Daniel is sitting there in his weary state sorrow over the display of what's going on around him. He's seeing his Jewish brothers and sisters being destroyed. King Nebuchadnezzar, a ruthless man uh, who is ruling over the world, and he's been taken captive against his will. And he's praying, God, what's going on? What are you going to do? What's happening next? I get these visions. What's going on? And then Gabriel shows up, and they have a little one-on-one tutoring session. Can you imagine sitting there with Gabriel, who was created before the heavens and the earth, who knew Adam and Eve, who watched all that God has ever done, and sit there with the man Gabriel? Can you imagine that maybe there are times when Gabriel has come, possibly to you and to me, to give us insight? And we thought it was just somebody who was helpful. In fact, it was an angel of God coming to give us encouragement and insight as to what is going on in this world. Because not everything makes sense to us. The most dedicated followers, like Daniel, we're confused, we get weary, we're tired, we're frustrated. That happens to the best, as it did to Daniel. And Gabriel came and cared for him. There are some angels that are known as the chief princes. One of the key insights in Daniel 10, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that's referring to a demon. There's a demon over Persia. There's a demon over Iran, even I believe to this day was withstanding me. That's Gabriel. Gabriel is coming to answer that prayer of Daniel, but the demon who is the chief prince of Persia prevented Gabriel from coming. For 21 days, Gabriel did not have access to answer the prayer of Daniel, and so therefore Michael had to come. 
And so Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me to help me, and for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. So there are angels that are over territorial regions. Some of them are demonic. Is it any wonder that we are having this horrible experience with the nation of Iran, unlike any other nation in the world today in many ways, in terms of what's going on between our leaders and their leaders and the things that are being said. We're the great Satan. We're going to be destroyed. Iran is very open about destroying the nation of Israel, and there is no territorial right for Israel to exist, and it's not going to be part of the nuclear agreement that they're trying to take. Is it any wonder that Iran wants to wipe Israel off the face of the map and nobody is standing up to them in any significant way? Why is that? Because there is the chief prince of Persia that wants to destroy all of God's Jewish people. He tried it in the days of Hitler. He tried it in the days of King Nebuchadnezzar. They'll try it again in the last times, as we'll see. And so there is always this attempt, and that's what Satan's role is, to destroy and wipe out the nation of Israel. And so we see this chief prince that is over this region as well. And then there are what we call ruling or authority angels, and they just rule and have authority to act in ways that we'll see as we go along here. And then there are angels that are ministering angels, that are ministering spirits. They come to care for us. We'll talk about more specifically about that. But there is no indication anywhere in Scripture of guardian angels. We use that term a lot. Uh, but you just don't see it in Scripture. They minister. The word ministering there, ministering spirits, is the, we get the English word deacon from it. We have deacons in many churches today. And it's a diakonos. So they are like deacon angels who come and serve and minister and care for us. There are the seraphims. I talked about those in just a moment ago. The seraphim class of angels are one of the richest angels that someday those of us who go to heaven will see. In Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, it says, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted. This is Isaiah, this vision of God in heaven. He says, I saw him sitting on the throne, exalted with the train of his robe, filling the temple. And seraphim, seraphim were up there. And I put in parentheses, these are my words, seraph, Hebrew word meaning fire. So these seraphim are like fire-branding angels that are there before Almighty God. And they stood above Him. And these seraphim each had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. With two He flew. And one cut out to another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Then one of the seraphim flew to me in burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. The seraphim are those angels that are designated to be those who are worshipers of the holy God. They will never allow anybody in heaven to ever escape the attention of who's really in charge, who's really the God, who's really the holy one, because they're there holy. And the coals, the fire, refers to the purity, the purity of the holiness of God. And the seraphim have these six, six wings. Two of them cover their, their face. It's symbolic of saying, I am not worthy to look upon holy God. Two of them cover their feet. I am humbled but that I am here standing before this holy God. And two of them have wings that they could fly because I am unworthy that I would be used to be of service to this holy God. They know God, have known God from the creation of the world, created long before Genesis 1. Remember, long before the creation of the world, these angels were there worshiping Almighty God. They are the seraphim that you will see referenced in Scripture. Then there are the cherubim that are used in Scripture. They are those that protect the holiness of God. 
They were the first angels we see on the scene in Genesis 3. Genesis 2 and 3. So he drove the man out. Adam and Eve are driven out of the garden because they sinned against Almighty God. And the east of the Garden of Eden, and he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And the cherubim are there posted. They will not allow Adam and Eve back into the garden to somehow have access to this tree of life that would give to them life and the holiness of God. And so the cherubim protect the holiness of God. That's why in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 25, verse 17, it was the cherubim that they crafted in gold on the Ark of the Covenant that is often used in movie theaters and movie scenes. But the Ark of the Covenant, that was that place that represented the holiness of God. So they created cherubim to be on the Ark of the Covenant to symbolize that this is God's holy place. This is where God has resided as they would place that before the, uh, the temple. And it's to say that He is a holy God and the cherubim protect this. And those who touched the Ark of the Covenant in an ungodly and unbiblical way would die because this is the kind of standing that God says, I cannot have my holiness tarnished by disobedient people. And so they are the cherubim that help to do that. Now one of the great things about angels is they primarily are used to carry out God's major plans. That's why they're here. They want to help us find a close-up parking spot to a grocery store or help us find the shortest line at Costco. I'm sure they would love to help us out do that sort of thing. And maybe if they got extra time, maybe they'd do that. I don't really know. But uh, I don't think that that's one of their primary, if it, it at all is ever their task to help you and me. Their task is to carry out what God has sought fit to pursue for this world that He created. So He created them first, then He created us. One of the primary tasks that you will see that angels indulge in is worshiping God. We're going to talk about Revelation 5 again in about three weeks. But one of the things it says there, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures. Those would be the cherubim. So you got all the ruling authority angels. Then you got the cherubim that are down there and uh, living creatures. And the elders, referring to the church, you and I, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands. Now, thousands and thousands you can do the math on. Myriads and myriads. Is myriads referring to ten thousands? So is it ten thousands times ten thousands? If it's ten thousands of ten thousands and thousands and thousands, then at a minimum we're talking about 200 million angels in heaven. Now, some of you have complained to me that sometimes the worship in here is too loud. And we do have earplugs back there, by the way. But when you get to heaven, you haven't heard loud until you get to heaven. And of course, we will have perfect eardrums then, not these fragile things that sometimes are a little staticky, you know, a little irritating at times. So I get that. But when you get to, to 200, can you imagine what it's like to stand in a choir of 200 million angels singing God's praises? That's loud. It's very loud. They don't have a speaker system. They don't have electricity as we know it today. They were saying, notice they were saying, see, they still haven't, they're still not singing yet, but they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And I'll tell you why they were saying that. Why were they saying them? Why were they saying that great praise? Worthy are you in three weeks. I'll show you why they were worthy of that. Angels have great power to carry out God's will. In 2 Peter 2, 
Peter is speaking against the people of Sodom, the people of the day of Noah. He's speaking against the disobedience of mankind. And he says, why, why are you living so disobedient to God's will? And out of that context, he says, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Why do you despise God's authority? Why do you live in disobedience to God's will? And then he says this, daring, you're daring, you're self-willed. You do not even tremble when you revile angelic majesties. You don't live in the healthy fear of God and in a disobedience to His will, you still carry out your daring, self-willed disobedience. And you are speaking reviling words against angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Angels are greater than you and me in terms of their power and their might. And Peter is pointing out they in a moment could extinguish us in our daring, self-willed, reviling of angelic majesties. But they hold back. But just recognize that angels have so much greater power to carry out God's will that we should live in awe and respect of the God who we worship and the angels that worship Him with us. And that we should have that kind of healthy fear. Not a paranoid fear. That's never healthy. But a healthy fear and respect to the power that they display. Angels can judge people, however, when they are so openly disobedient to God. Here's one of those examples. You don't see a lot of this, so I don't want to say that's every time we get sick. But on an appointed day, a Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat in the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. And that's a pretty ugly scene. I throw that out there not to make us think that every time you get the flu bug, uh, was that something I said, Lord? No. It's a display of their power, their power that God will use them. And we'll see much more of that in the book of Revelation. And then very quickly, I'm not going to take any time on this, but I, I listed all these things. Angels were key messengers and ministers of Jesus Christ. They were used in a mighty way to help him carry out his mission. Angels were there at his birth. They were there to protect him as a baby uh, when the, uh, the, the enemy was wanting to kill all the infants in Bethlehem. His care when he was weak at the temptation, at the cross, they were there to minister to him. They were resources if needed. He says, I could have called a legion of angels. 70,000 angels could have come and helped me if I didn't want to die on that cross. At His resurrection, at His ascension, and, he will, and we will see Him at His second coming as the angels are used there. But angels have a ministry to you and I. Here are some of the things that angels we know will do for people who are followers of Jesus Christ and love Jesus Christ as well. Here are some of the ministries we should anticipate, we should expect, we should be aware of, we should be uh, really honoring God for what they will do. They will help provide directions. You know the old stereotypical, a guy never asked for directions? Because we have angels to help us out. Well, the angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went before, behind them, and the pillar of the cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So as they wandered in the wilderness, there was an angel. It was, like a, it was like their own little Garmin GPS device that was showing them where to go. Google Earth. They had an angel. 
Angels do provide direction. You'll see more of that. Angels will surround us with hidden protection. There are often times, I'm sure, when we have been experiencing this. In 2 Kings 6, Elisha, the great, great servant of God, powerful miracles occurred during his era. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army of horses and chariots was circling the city. These are the enemy forces that are coming to destroy Elisha and the people that are there. And his servant said to them, Alas, master, this is the servant to the master Elisha, what shall we do? So he answered, so this is Elisha, his confidence, his faith in God, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And they probably the servants looking around, what do you mean those who are with us? It's just us. I don't see no them out there. And Elisha prayed. Here's God's wonderful prayer answered for Elisha. O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So there was this huge army of these angels that were surrounding them. We don't know how many times we did not ask and did not see what God has done. That's why I think when we get to heaven, we're going to look back and we're going to say, oh, there was an angel there. There was an angel there. There was a protection there. I had no idea that was going on. That's why when we get to God in Revelation 15, I love to quote this at, at funerals. When we get to Revelation 15, we sing the song, all your righteous acts have been revealed. Suddenly we're going to see that God was doing so much more than we ever gave him credit for. There was protection from harm, from that accident, from that situation. Why? Because God still had ministry to be done. There's many countless times in the stories you hear of people in war and in other efforts and somehow they made it through and someone else didn't. Why? Because there might have been angels, invisible angels that are non-appearing angels that were there that says, but God still has something to do. So God uses His angels as a hidden protection for us. They do help spread the gospel. Sometimes you wonder, what about the people in certain countries that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? How will they ever know about the truth that you and I so freely preach and hear this day? But the ninth hour of that day, he clearly saw a vision of an angel of God who had just come and said, Cornelius. And this is one of these righteous Gentiles as the gospel is going from the Jewish people to the Gentile people. And fixing his gaze on him, being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And the angel directs Cornelius where to go that he might hear the gospel clearly. Angels go. We hear more and more stories of God's divine revelation of both angelic and the presence of Jesus in the Middle East these days. We're hearing countless stories of how God is revealing himself for those that seek Him, that they might find Him. God uses angels to make those things known. And we see a classic example of it here. There is no reason He wouldn't be doing that again today in some of those areas. They do answer our prayers. Peter is in prison. There's a group of people praying in his home. They're praying for Peter's release. So what does God do while well, he's sleeping between two shoulders? Soldiers behind with two chains and guards in front of the door are watching over the prison. So they didn't want any chance that Peter would ever escape. Behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and the light shone in the cell. Totally oblivious, these soldiers. They're going to lose their lives if Peter gets out. But these angels, this angel just walks in there, totally oblivious to the power of the rule of man because the power of the rule of God is so much greater. And he came in there and this light shone in the cell and he struck Peter's side and woke him up. It's interesting, an angel just 
little jab in the side. And I just, all these little details. And he says, get up quickly. Get up quickly. We don't have a lot of time here. And then his chains fell off his, just miraculously the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said, gird yourself and put on your sandals. See how thoughtful angels are? I don't want you to run around naked and I don't want you to stub your toe. Put on your sandals. Let's go. We got, let's busy. We, we got work to do. And he did so. And he said to them, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Why? He cares about him not getting cold. See how nice angels are? But here's what's fascinating to me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Peter didn't know what was going on. He didn't know this was an angel. It was unclear to him. And when they had passed the first and second guard, again, guard didn't see this. Angels blind those that God does not want them to see things. And he goes out there and he says, they're at the very bottom. Now I know for sure the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me. The thing that's interesting is that Peter was unaware that this is an angel carrying out the assignment from God to rescue him. How many times do we have this unawareness? Was that an angel or wasn't it? I mean, we don't know. Because sometimes this presence of angels are so powerful and so unexpected that we just... It's hard for us to come to our senses to have a full reality check on what was just happening. The angels do come and they do encourage us in dangerous times. At the end of Paul's days, as he's going to Rome, he's on a ship. The ship is going to be destroyed, but God sent an angel to warn and encourage him. Yet now I urge you to keep your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, only, but only the ship, as Paul is speaking to the other passengers, a couple hundred people on the ship. For this very night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, Don't be afraid, Paul. No one's going to lose their lives. Angels care for us in dangerous situations, as this was a good example of that. Angels do care for us when we die. Now, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. When you and I die, the first thing you're going to see is an angel. There's a great little story in this. I'm going to say this real fast because I'm really running out of time. There's something I really want to say before I get done. So listen very quickly. But I just read this story this last week. It's amazing. There's a fellow by the name of Anthony Berger. Anthony Berger. Ring a bell on anybody? The Gail Vocal, Gail Gaither Vocal Band. My brain is going faster than my tongue. The Gaither Vocal Band was on a Caribbean cruise doing their thing, or the Christian kind of a cruise, you know. And Anthony Berger was playing the piano. They'd been playing for decades, I guess, something like that. So 2006. And on that cruise, as Anthony Berger was playing his song, he died. Tragic heart attack. Of course, everybody's just amazed. Well, there was a woman speaker on there, Becky Pippert. Uh, some of you might know that name. I've read her book. She's a, she's a solid speaker for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she was there. And one of the passengers came up and says, Becky, when the spotlight went from Anthony to the other side, I kept my eyes on Anthony. who was playing the piano. And then I saw what I think was an angel is a seven foot tall angel in a white in a gold robe standing right above Anthony and the angel put his hand on Anthony's shoulder and Anthony looked up and he died and what was he playing when he died we will behold him and she said I just believe that angel was there and that's what angels do when my dad died one of the last things he did was to reach his hand out like to grab hold of someone. And I've heard of others of funerals that I've done were similar to that. There is this respect that angels have for God's children when they die, that we are ushered into this heavenly home. 
and they will direct us to do God's will. An angel Lord spoke to Philip, says, go here, minister to this person. They will direct us. And Philip doesn't even react that this is an angel. There are times when God will bring angels as men into our lives to give wisdom, to give counsel, to give direction, to give hope. For a temporary time, an angel will come alongside us and help us so that we can carry on, and then they are gone. And I've heard stories of yours that that has happened for you as well. And they have many other things. But here's what I want to land on the very end. We have a ministry to angels. I want to be very clear. We're not just here to be those that are being pampered by angels. As much as they do that, here is something that is very important for us to have as a take-home in terms of your responsibility and mine. For if you're a believer in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've trusted in Him as one who has forgiven you of your sins, you've confessed your sins to Him, and you say, Jesus, you are my Savior. Jesus, you are my Lord. Well, this is my ministry to your angels now. They are these. We may entertain them, and we need to be as hospitable as we possibly can. Let the love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. You never know who that stranger may be at your door, in the store, in your place of business. Those individuals that God may somehow bring into our world for reasons we'll never understand this side of heaven, but that we show hospitality, that we show grace and kindness, that we show love and generosity to those that somehow God places around us as a display. And I'll show you why, why He will do that in a moment. Secondly, they love to learn about our salvation. They love to look into this. Therefore, we need to faithfully live out our faith so that we are a display to them of that. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things in which you now have announced to you those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And here is the key, things in which angels love to look. Angels are here. They love to look into your life and my life. If I claim to be a follower of Jesus, they love to contemplate how I live my faith. And the more reality, the more authentic, the more genuine, the more depth that my faith is displayed, the more that they are pleased and the more that God is honored. You and I need to live our faith faithfully. You and I who claim to be a follower of Jesus, it's God, yes, it's Jesus watching, but now we say there's a whole layer of hundreds of millions of angels that are saying, wow, look at that servant of God. That's why this last week in Nepal, this Nepal churches are being destroyed over there, that terrible earthquake. And all I read about the saints that were there, and there were many of God's children that were killed in that. But I hear about spouses of pastors that are killed and how those spouses of those pastors go on and just honor Jesus Christ. I think of those angels being just wow that these that Jesus died for, they don't curse God. They honor God and continue to be faithful to God because we'll all go through suffering of various stripes. They watch our worship services, our, our marriages. We need to openly reflect what true worship and true marriages should look like. Notice what he says, therefore the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. In those days, and there's a whole lot to unpack about this culturally, but in those days the, the women had to have a covering of their head to display that they are in submission to their husbands and the authority of the church. 
Now, today we don't use that as a cultural method. But why did Paul say, because of the angels? Why do they wear that covering to say, I'm in submission in my marriage, in, in the church? Because of the angels. Because angels watch. Angels watch Christian marriages. Angels watch Christian worshipers. And to the degree that you and I reflect that faithful, honorable worship of God, it honors them. We need to do it well. Quality marriages are a display to angels. And I'll show you why. Because everything that we do is to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. That's why we're on this earth, to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. We live in obedience to God's truth. Here is the key verse. Paul writes in Ephesians, To me, the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, that we are forgiven, redeemed forever, solid, heaven-bound, and empowered for this life, to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages have been hidden in God who created all things. Here's the phrase I want to highlight. Why did God do all this? So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church you and I. To whom? To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Here is something I just want you to really take to heart. You don't remember a lot of what I said because a whole lot, but if you can take home this, you are in a better place than a lot of people. You and I need to live out our faith. They long to look into our salvation. They long to look at our worship. They long to look at our marriages. They long to see us display what God has created in a way that honors God. Why? Because as you and I exercise our faith, as you and I live out our faith, as you and I live in obedience to what God has done, and with true motives that are here to honor and glorify God, the angels watch this and they say, Father in heaven, look at your children lying down there. Look at how they're living their lives. Look at how they display their faith. Look at their marriage. Look at the hardship they went through and yet they still honor you. They don't curse you. And so God, this displays your manifold wisdom. You are the God. You are the true God. We saw a third of the angels being swept away by Satan. They chose to disobey you. We chose to stay, God. And now because we stayed, hundreds of millions of us now worship you. And every time one of your children remains faithful in the midst of hardship, remains a true follower in their salvation, remains in a quality marriage and truly worships God, all of those are a display of your manifold wisdom and that, God, you are the true God. I can't emphasize more strongly how central this is to all that I've just said. That your life and my life, we are here to convince the angels of the manifold wisdom of God and that He is the true God. And their faithfulness to Him will be well rewarded. You and I are the measure of God's worth and His worship. That is so key. So you and I, as we live out our faith, remember, they are here to care for us. They will minister to us. They will protect us. They will guide us. They will heal us. They'll do miracles for us. But you and I, we're here to minister to them by living our life faithfully in suffering and in joy, in worship and in marriage.
so that we can display the manifold wisdom of God to them. So they say, yes, yes, I'm thankful I stayed with the holy God of heaven, not the false God of Satan, because he is the true God, and we continue to worship him. You and I, we bolster the joy of those saints called angels. Let me pray. Help us, Father, to be those people, to display that faith, to faithfully call before you in our marriages, in our worship, in our salvation, in our suffering. Lord, to display before you that you are the true God, the manifold wisdom of yours being on display to the administration of the rulers and the authorities of the heavenly places. God, you give us the spirit to give us capacity, so help us to do it well. And we give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen.